this recall was put on the ballot by Trump supporters, by national Republicans to really fight our democratic agenda. And what is that agenda? It's, it's agenda that's about making sure that if you work 40 hours a week, you can have a living wage. It's an agenda about having universal health care. It's an agenda to make sure that we believe in science and we're fighting back against climate change. We just passed this historic budget with huge investments into health care and homelessness. Well, there was one other item that we had to put in this budget, and that was almost $300 million to fund this recall. And that's money that could have gone to education. Yep. That's money that could have gone to Medi-Cal and health care or yep. to our food banks. That's money that could have been put to so many of the necessary and needed services. Yep. But that money's being spent on a recall because this governor had the audacity to lead in the time of a national crisis. Well, shame on him. What was he thinking? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California, uh, in uh, Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Uh, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Get Vaccinated, Arkansas, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me... From bradblog.com, I don't hear anyone disagreeing. From bradblog.com, thank you very much for joining us today. No, Desi, no. (laughs) Nobody asked you. No one asked your opinions. Uh, Hey, thank you for joining us for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Coming up, uh, trying to make sense of this ridiculous GOP-sponsored attempt to remove California's popular progressive Democratic governor because Republicans can no longer win a regular statewide election in the Golden State. Are you trying to figure out how to vote, what to do? Well, you're not the only one. And as ridiculous uh, as it seems, it's far more important then you may realize that you vote in this recall election, which is officially scheduled for September 14th. But most of uh, most of our listeners probably have already received a ballot by mail. We will have a progressives guide 
to the California recall ballot that may be useful for listeners in filling out that vote-by-mail ballot and getting it sent back ASAP as California voters are now receiving those ballots in their mailbox and wondering how to fill them out. We will be joined shortly with uh, some information and a suggestion or two on that from a progressive Democrat who is outside of the state party leadership structure here. And his strategic suggestions on how to vote are somewhat different than that uh, that we're hearing from uh, Governor Gavin Newsom and from the Democratic Party. Uh, Both of whom, at least in my opinion and maybe in my guests coming up shortly, uh, seem to be playing with a bit of fire in their strategy. We will explain why uh, shortly. Uh, First, quite a bit of noteworthy news from over the weekend and again into today that I want to try to get caught up on uh, a bit first. No, not in Afghanistan, where we've got plenty of elite military and political and mainstream media geniuses out there second guessing their own their own 20 years of denial on Afghanistan as they flail about hoping to blame things on someone anyone anyone but themselves and all the other pro-war clowns over the past 20 years who have uh, despite all evidence to the contrary actually uh, thought that you know war in Afghanistan makes total sense well, they were wrong for 20 years, so why should they start being right now? Uh, Nicole Sandler sat in for us on Friday's broadcast and discussed some of uh, some of those issues with national security reporter, longtime national security reporter, a good one, an independent one, Spencer Ackerman. It was an excellent interview, by the way. You may wish to grab it for free at bradblog.com if you missed our previous broadcast. Uh, more on that, I suspect, on another day. Uh, meanwhile, this is shaping up to be, I've, I've been talking about this for weeks, Desi Doyne, shaping up to be the summer when the reality of our worsening, deadly, seemingly unstoppable climate emergency may finally be hitting home. For well, a whole bunch of Americans. I'll just say one hopes. One hopes that the series of disasters that we've been seeing here in the United States and around the world will help push people to focus and do something about climate action. Uh, unfortunately, it's uh, literally uh, hitting homes for many uh, over this summer, uh, as we're seeing. All eyes were and are on the uh, damage wrought by uh, Hurricane Henri and then Uh, Well, hurricane and then tropical storm Henri on the uh, northeastern seaboard over the weekend. But before that, uh, the monster storm that came ashore uh, wreaked havoc, not just on the East Coast, but a completely separate system, I think, was already catastrophically deadly and uh, breaking all sorts of record rainfall numbers in North Carolina first last week. Uh, from the remnants of Tropical Storm Fred, and then over the weekend, unfathomable record rainfall in Middle Tennessee, more than doubling the predictions of forecasters, actually tripling. Search crews worked through shattered homes and tangled debris on Monday. 
Looking for about a dozen people who were still missing after record-smashing rains and floodwaters surging through rural Tennessee, uh, killing at least 22 when I last checked. Saturday's flooding took out roads, cell phone towers, telephone lines, leaving people uncertain about whether their family and friends even survived this unprecedented deluge. With rainfall that more than tripled forecasts and shattered the state's record uh, for one-day rainfall in some places. Emergency workers were searching door-to-door with many of the missing uh, living in, in the neighborhoods where the water rose the fastest. Desi Doyen, this had echoes of what we just saw days earlier in western North Carolina, and it comes as Tropical Storm Henri, apparently in a, an entirely unrelated system, has been pounding everywhere from New York up through New England. Uh, what do we know on the latest in both Tennessee and with Henri? Well, just to put this into perspective, these two different storms, one on Saturday in Tennessee, one on Sunday in the Northeast, happened a thousand miles apart, and both of these storms together broke all-time high rainfall records in some places. So it gives you a sense of just how big these storms mm-hmm. actually were. Um, it's about 10 people are missing in Tennessee still, uh, including, uh, uh, and, and sadly, the the deaths of 22 people that have been confirmed so far include two babies who were swept out of their yep. father's arms uh, as he tried to escape up a tree. Uh, the water rose At Loretta so- Lynn's ranch, by the way. Uh, yes, and yeah. somebody at, Le- at the foreman at Loretta Lynch. Uh, Loretta Lynn, the country star singer, yeah. uh, that they at her ranch, the yeah. uh, her foreman was trapped in the barn and uh, was not able to get to safety before the waters swept him away. Mm. And mm. what's the, what's shocking about this is that the as you mentioned, the hardest hit areas saw double the rain that this region of Middle Tennessee has ever received in its previous worst case scenario for flooding. And the uh, the reason why this is happening is because global warming, what? man-made global warming, Never heard of it. increases the amount of water vapor that can be held in the atmosphere. So, for example, every two degrees of warming Fahrenheit that we see gives the atmosphere about 8% more moisture that it can hold, which means that it is able to dump that much more rain when mm. it finally does rain. And to give you an idea of how fast the water rose in Tennessee, uh, at one gro- grocery store in Wales, Waverly. Employees said that they stood on desks and registers and racks for the store as the water rose so fast from a creek that's usually 400 feet away from the storm. Wow. And they had to try to break through the ceiling into the attic oh because they God. could not get out. So that's kind of gives you a sense of how bad it was in Tennessee. And then we move up to the Northeast, where Tropical Storm Henri is now a tropical depression. Henri made landfall uh, on the coast of Rhode Island on Sunday, but the impacts from the rain and the wind and the storm surge and inland flooding from Mm -hmm. the rain uh, extended from northern Pennsylvania all the way up to Maine. Uh, About 100,000 people or so lost power at the height of Henri's hitting the northeast um, from New Jersey to Maine. And what was kind of funny in a way, it's not really funny, but Henri forced the cancellation of that concert in New York City. Welcome back to New York. Homecoming, yes. Sadly, it was literally in the middle of Barry Manilow's performance. I mean, they stopped him right in the middle of the song. I know they did, yeah. And it was... Really sad. And he, he continued it. You know, a lot of the artists went back into tents and they tried to continue were, uh, working a cappella. Uh, trying I'm to trying continue. to avoid a Barry Manilow joke here in, in this case. <laughs> but yes, it was very sad that they had to stop Barry Manilow. And yeah. to give you an idea, yeah. 
that they actually stopped it just in time. Henri actually broke the historical rainfall record for Central Park. That has been recording since the middle 19th century. Mm. So uh, it was the most rain ever recorded in Central Park in a single hour, nearly two inches of rain in one hour alone. And that, of course, has uh, caused great problems, not only with the power, but also flooding roadways, uh, washing out some bridges, and flooding the subway and stopping mass transit as uh, train tracks were flooded in the uh, regional rain railway and uh, also shutting down some subway lines. You so. know, these numbers that you if you, that you look at them, you mentioned two, hour, uh, two inches an hour in Central Park. Uh, you know, moving back to Tennessee for a moment, up to 17 inches of rain fell in Humphreys County in less than 24 hours, shattering the uh, records in Tennessee for one-day rainfall. 17.02 inches in the town of McEwen in 24 hours. I mean, the old record was 13.6 inches back in the early 80s. This just smashed it. We're not talking about, you know, usually when these records are broken, they're broken just a little bit. We are blowing away all-time records in, when it comes to rain, uh, these, these storms on the East Coast, when it comes to the, 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 the droughts and the fires out here on the West Coast. It's covered in our national media, but how often, Desi Doyen, do they connect the dots to say, yes, this is the climate change that scientists have been warning us about for so many decades now. Well, you don't see it enough. That's for damn sure. Uh, I will tell you that I've seen in the written coverage in yeah. news articles online and in the papers that they do tend to, at some point, eventually, maybe towards the end, <laughs> note that this is what climate scientists have been predicting for years. But generally on the uh, the news media online, yeah. I mean, on broadcast media, they yeah. are not covering it. I mean, of course, it's. I, I need to say that it will take time for climate attribution scientists to determine the exact fingerprint of man-made climate change on these specific two record-breaking events. But Again, these are all in line with what climate yeah. scientists have warned we will be seeing with man-made global warming. And NOAA studies, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration studies, have shown that extreme downpours have increased in the United States since the 1970s, specifically in the eastern, on the, along the eastern seaboard, mm -hmm. 50 to 70 percent. So, yes, this is just climate change. Climate change is here. Oh, yeah. You know, well, climate always changes. You know, it's just normal. Nothing to worry about. And, of course, the key is <clears throat> what makes it change. Uh, this is changing faster than it ever has in the yep. geological record of the United of the, of the entire planet. Right. And that is the problem that we're facing now. It, and, and it's true, by the way. Climate does always change. It just used to take hundreds and thousands and millions of years to do so. Now it's doing so. And you know, just a couple of decades. Right. It depends on what is driving it. And what is driving it now is humanity burning fossil fuels. Yep. And I wonder if they're telling them that in Tennessee, in right wing, deep red Tennessee. I'm wondering if they're explaining why the people at the Winn-Dixie or wherever it was had to climb out the roof of their store to stay alive. Anyway, uh, thank you, Des. We'll be keeping our eyes on that, I suspect, as the week goes on and on tomorrow's broadcast on the Green News Report, no doubt. In some brighter news, <laughs> at least for democracy and for public oversight of elections, uh, from Friday, uh, before we uh, get to our discussion on California's dumb recall election, well, we had a bit of a win in Georgia. 
Speaking of deep red states that at least used to be deep red, uh, a big uh, big win in Georgia against the GOP's abhorrent SB 202 anti-voting, anti-democracy law that was adopted by Republicans a few months ago, signed uh, moments later by their very Trumpy Republican governor and former secretary of state, Brian Kemp, underneath a portrait of a slave plantation, by the way, totally coincidental. And when I say we had a victory, I guess I specifically in this case mean I in one sense. Uh, As the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported on Friday, a section of SB 202 has now been struck down for the first time by a federal judge. The provision happens to be one of several First Amendment press freedom issues in SB 202 that was challenged by Marilyn Marx's Coalition for Good Governance, a lawsuit that was filed against the law by her organization. You may know her she, uh, from the broadcast, where she is a frequent, uh, frequent guest here. That challenge that, um, uh, that was filed by uh, the coalition is one of eight different ongoing challenges to different aspects of this sweeping anti-voting law. It also happens to be the one, well, one of the provisions in which I personally am the named plaintiff representing media in these particular challenges. I'm proud to be named in that lawsuit. Uh, As the uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Mark Neese reported on Friday, a federal judge ruled against a broad ban on photographing voted ballots on Friday, throwing out a part of Georgia's new election law while allowing the rest of it to stand At least for now, the decision is the first time a judge has invalidated a section of the 98 page voting law, which also limits ballot drop boxes, requires more I.D. to vote absentee and most disturbingly allows the state government to take over county elections and, yes, change results, among other things meant to suppress the vote and, yes, steal elections. AJC notes that U.S. District Judge J.P. Boulay rejected the law's sweeping prohibition of photographing or recording any filled out ballots, finding that such far reaching restrictions violate freedom of speech protections guaranteed by the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, which is why I was delighted and honored uh, to uh, agree to lend my name as the plaintiff in that case. The paper quotes Marilyn Marks. Um, of the Coalition for Good Governance, noting, uh, quote, the court's striking of the photography ban was an important first step in demonstrating that SB 202 is an overreach by lawmakers who prefer ballots to be counted behind closed doors, blocking the important oversight of the press and the public. The provision struck down by the federal judge had actually criminalized media and and public observers who dared photograph voters voting uh, and catching their ballots in the bargain. That's, uh, you know, particularly in the polling place when covering elections by the media or simply observing them if they were members of the public, it is almost impossible not to catch someone's ballot in Georgia polling places because of these huge new Dominion touchscreen ballot marking device voting systems that the state's current Trumpy secretary of state, Brad Raffensperger, has forced all counties to use 
at the polling place. Coalition founder Marilyn Marks, she's a frequent guest on this program, as I said. She also has another long-running suit to block the use of those unverifiable, extremely vulnerable touchscreen systems as well as we've been reporting uh, once again in recent days on this show after the software used to uh, really run all of the Dominion voting systems, whether it's touchscreen or paper ballots, was actually stolen by a Colorado county clerk and released to the Internet a week or two ago during Mike Lindell's MyPillow Stop the Steal Cyber Symposium. That software is used in some 60 percent of California counties right now during this recall. That's why we've been talking about this over the past week or two. In any event, those uh, touchscreen systems that they use in Georgia are the same type of systems that are used in large California counties here as well, like San Diego, San Francisco, Riverside, if you vote at the polling place. And they are very similar to the unverifiable touchscreen ballot marking devices that voters at the polls here in Los Angeles are now forced to use. So, yes, please vote on a paper, hand-marked paper ballot. Uh, a vote-by-mail ballot in the recall, at least if you're forced to vote on a touchscreen system at the polling place, drop it off at a polling place or a drop box, if possible, rather than put it in the mail. But as to the uh, small but substantive win uh, knocking down the first provisions of uh, SB202 in Georgia, as I said, I'm very proud to be the named plaintiff in that case, representing a number of First Amendment press freedom outrages that Republicans have shoved into that bill, making it harder for folks like me and others in the media as well as the public in general to oversee elections and to report on problems that are discovered during the both the casting and the counting of ballots. Not that we ever have such problems in Georgia, right? The suit against SB202 is, uh, is much broader than just that one provision uh, that we had a win on on Friday. There are more First Amendment press freedoms uh, and others, such as the election subversion provision, that is being challenged by the coalition as well. And the judge has allowed a number of those provisions to stand, at least for now, in this suit. Uh, the coalition had asked for early rulings on several of these SB 202 provisions because of upcoming municipal elections in the state. Uh, Marilyn Marks told me over the weekend that there is much more to come on both those other provisions and uh, the ones that the judge allowed to stand for now, as I'm told, the coalition is currently deciding whether to seek reconsideration uh, and or appeal some of those decisions. But, you know, with so far uh, with, with so little uh, good news of late, uh, I thought the folks here might want to know about this small but important early victory for a happy change. It's also um it helps to establish that our lawsuit in this case actually has standing so that it can move forward uh, with the judge agreeing to knock down one of the uh, uh, provisions being challenged uh, in the coalition's suit. So a small but important early victory for now. And given, given everything that's going on right now uh, to undermine democracy and our country, well, I will take it. Speaking of undermining our democracy, that's exactly what Republicans are hoping to do with their attempted California gubernatorial recall, which is ongoing right now. I know a lot of you have already received those vote by mail ballots are likely wondering 
how to vote on the ballot's two different questions, particularly the second one in which there are a total of 46 candidates to choose from, one of which will become our next governor if enough voters vote to remove Gavin Newsom on the first question on the ballot or if people just don't send their ballots in. So let's take a quick break here. We will come back with longtime Brad Blog uh, legal contributor and former Veterans for Bernie senior advisor Ernie Canning. He has some thoughts on that. As he recently wrote at bradblog.com a, uh, well, what he titled One Progressive's Guide to the California recall election. That's next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. do have a soul, don't we? Somewhere, somewhere here in California. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The uh, the old idiom, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, comes to mind when considering both the transformation of California's Republican Party and the Golden State's gubernatorial recall process since it was first established by voters back in 1911. Both transformations, Ernest A. Canning noted at bradblog.com back in July, point to the need for California to either significantly reform or eliminate gubernatorial recalls altogether. He went on to cite the long history of the California gubernatorial recall process as the brainchild of Hiram Johnson, an immensely popular Republican governor who switched to the progressive party just after taking office. Johnson's progressive bona fides were already on display during his uh, January 1911 inaugural address when he declared, quote, the first duty that is mine to perform is to eliminate every private interest from the government and to make the public service of the state responsive solely to the people. Well, the Republican Party has certainly changed a bit since back then in 1911. If not uh, the progressive ideals or the California gubernatorial recall process, as envisioned by Johnson, California's recall procedures were to have served as a form of bottom up direct democracy that would act as a check against the corrupt influence of corporate wealth and power, which was then being exerted in the Golden State by the Southern Pacific Railroad. The state's recall provision, however, Uh, has failed to live up to Governor Johnson's lofty expectations, notes Ernie Canning, as we discussed previously on this program. Since 1911, according to Ballotpedia, there have been 55 attempts to recall a sitting California governor. The only successful campaign was back in 2003 when voters recalled then-Governor Gray Davis. That recall was a purely partisan affair made possible because... The wealthy right-wing Republican Congressman Darrell Issa invested $1.7 million of his own money to fund a GOP-engineered professional signature-gathering campaign coupled politically with the disinformation campaign regarding power outages in California that had been engineered by the infamous, corrupt, 
and now defunct Texas-based energy company Enron. This year's gubernatorial recall against California's popular progressive Democratic governor, Gavin Newsom, uh, according to Canning, is being wielded as an anti-democracy cudgel by an increasingly authoritarian Republican Party, a party which morphed into an instrument of the very corporate wealth and power that Governor Johnson hoped the recall would serve to defeat. Ernie went on to highlight a number of long overdue common sense reforms for the state constitutional process, such as replacing recalled governors with their lieutenant governor. That makes sense, doesn't it? Quote, the partisan incentive behind the Davis and Newsom recalls could be eliminated by revising the California Constitution so as to provide the automatic elevation of the lieutenant governor to governor in the event that a gubernatorial recall succeeds. Among other things, he notes uh, that would prevent a repeat of the 2003 circus in which the incumbent governor was not afforded the opportunity to debate any of the more than 400 candidates who had lined up on the ballot to replace him back then. Nonetheless, the GOP's latest recall election is now underway at a cost of hundreds of millions of dollars to state taxpayers, which, by the way, is just another reason why media and Democrats must stop calling Republicans conservatives. They are anything but. It's a brand name that goes over well, that sells to the public, but they are anything but conservative. Stop giving them the gift of calling them that. This year's recall circus includes some 46 candidates on question two of the recall ballot to determine which of those candidates will become the governor of the most populous state in the union if enough voters vote yes on question one to remove the governor from office. That means if just over 50 percent vote yes to recall the governor and 49 percent vote no to keep Gavin Newsom in place, a new governor would then be installed who might be lucky to receive about, I don't know, 20 percent of the votes in this off year special recall election with 46 people running all at once. Yes, the next governor of California, which if it was its own country, would have the fifth largest economy in the world. The next governor of California could could be someone who received far fewer votes than the governor himself, the governor who would be removed from office in that very same election. There is, in fact, a lawsuit underway now challenging the federal constitutionality of that process, though it seems to me, at least, to be a bit of a long shot challenge to the more than 100 year old state constitutional provision. So what are progressives like you and like me, what are we supposed to do in this absurd election? Not voting, at least in my opinion, is not an option. There is simply too much on the line to not fill out and return the vote by mail ballot that hopefully all registered voters across the state have received by now. Joining us now for some advice, uh, at least on well, on both questions one and two, as he headlined an article at Bradblog.com last week titled One Progressive's Guide to the California Recall is our old friend Ernest A. Canning. He's a retired attorney, a longtime Bradblog contributor, and during the 2016 presidential campaign, he was a senior advisor 
to Veterans for Bernie. Uh, Ernie Canning, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. And I want to thank you, by the way, for your clear guide to the recall you published at Brad Blog, because I know you slogged through every non-Republican, non-Libertarian who is listed on question two of the ballot to come up with your recommendation for uh, who progressives should cast their vote for. I know that was no easy feat in and of itself because there was about, what, 22 of them left to uh, to look at, Ernie? 21. 21. Uh, and you slogged through all of them. So thank you for that. Uh, thank you for your service. So listen, Ernie, I, I'm, I'm going to j- uh, jump to uh, part of your conclusion to your guide here uh, after walking through all the candidates uh, on on question two, who declared themselves to be members of the Democratic or uh, Green parties or who offered no party affiliation, where you write about question one, whether or not Gavin Newsom should be recalled. As recent polling shows, incredibly enough, this is now a dead heat among likely voters. Um, you write, quote, make no mistake, this recall election is a dangerous, naked, attempted power grab by a Republican Party, which knows no other way to try and win a statewide election in California. All residents should take the time to vote via a handmarked paper ballot as soon as possible with a solid no on the first question in opposition of removal uh, of removal of, of Governor Gavin Newsom. Before we get to your recommendations on how to vote for question two, what is your argument for why voters should vote no on recalling Newsom, which would leave, if they vote no, that leaves the Democrat in place as governor, and it makes uh, the second question, uh, you know, null and void, essentially. Uh, so w- w- why are you a strong no on question one? Uh, there are multiple reasons. The first and foremost is, and, and I'm not exaggerating. You know, in all the times I've been on the broadcast, this may, may be the most important that I've ever been on. Uh, this election is, with COVID out there, is literally a matter of life and death. Uh, if a Republican, specifically Larry Elder, or the leading Democrat uh, that I've seen in a recent poll, Kevin Pathrath, mm-hmm. both of who want to make uh, uh, all uh, COVID uh, uh uh, safety measures optional, mm-hmm. which essence is, you know, basically what's going on in Florida right now. I fear, particularly for the children that are too young, I have a four-year-old grandson. I worry for his life. Uh, these people, uh, um, it, it's so absurd when you think about uh, the science of epidemiology, the case law saying that, uh, and if you recall, I wrote an article recently about uh, uh, the fact that uh, the legal case for uh, compulsory COVID vaccines, uh, all the way back in, in 1905, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld a, um, a smallpox mandate by the, uh, it was mandatory uh, vaccines for smallpox mm-hmm. in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and the court upheld that and rejected this idea that liberty somehow included a right to evade your civic responsibilities. If uh, if we can have people, the same people that don't seem to have a problem uh, uh, not texting while driving or driving with a seatbelt or obeying traffic laws, somehow it's too much for them to, to simply put a, a face mask on, even though you're exposing children who can't get vaccinated uh, to this virus. That's just dead wrong. And the main thing that the Republicans and some of the Democrats that are running have um, have criticized Newsom for with regard to the, 
the business shutdowns and the mask mandates and so forth, those those uh, uh, are ridiculous. They should be asking themselves, uh, all of the governor's uh, uh, mandates and his uh, uh, and his uh, business shutdowns before we had the vaccine were based on the science, and they might ask mm-hmm. themselves how many more Californians would be dead today yep. if he hadn't taken the risky risk of doing that uh, uh, by doing that. The other thing I wanted to say about Governor Newsom, yeah. specifically with COVID, he was the first governor in the entire nation mm-hmm. who uh, uh, imposed a mandate. On, he even did this before the federal government did it on all state employees to, to be vaccinated. It, you know, it's a soft mm-hmm. mandate where they can alternatively have to pass periodically pass the mm-hmm. COVID test. But he was the first one to do that. He's followed up with mandating that all uh, teachers and school employees do it. And the, recently, the uh, uh, State Department of Health under his leadership is requiring that everybody that goes to visit a, a patient inside a hospital has to have proof that they've been vaccinated. Those are the kind of bold things that show that he's one of the best governors in the nation. Uh, there's no way he should be uh, uh Recall. The other thing is, you know, when we talk about the the Republicans in this state can't win a statewide election, haven't won one since 2006. They represent less than one in four California voters are Republicans, registered Republicans. Uh, in in uh, 2018, Newsom trounced uh, his Republican opponent, uh, John Cox, by uh, 61.9% to 38.1%. And, of course, you know, last year, uh, Biden uh, just slaughtered Trump in this state by, by five million votes. The lawsuit you're talking about uh, uh, is based on on the argument that it violates equal protection for the voters when the, when the person who would replace this governor uh, can receive substantially less votes, perhaps millions of less votes yeah. than the governor. Yeah. And, and still be elected to succeed him, and that's the basis for the law. The, then the governor on the very same uh, on the very same ballot. I mean, you know, you could have, <clears throat> I don't know, ten million people vote to keep Gavin Newsom in office, and two million people vote for Larry Elder, and on the same ballot, and Larry Elder becomes the next governor of California. God forbid. It, well, and it, but it's that ex- that's what we're talking about. That's the reason for that challenge uh, under uh, constitutional. What what is it? Uh, do uh, equal protection equal clause? Protection. <clears throat> yeah, that's the argument on the lawsuit. And by the way, Erwin Erwin Chemerinsky, you say, is the constitutional law. I was I was reading his work yeah. when I was in law school back in the mid seventies. Uh, he's the dean of uh, UC Berkeley Law School, and he made the same argument on a New York Times article. The problem is they're seeking a preliminary injunction. I doubt that that they're going to get it and stop uh, this recall. And I think it's up to every Californian. You know that the, the polls are based on what the pollsters think are likely voters. Well, if everybody in California who voted in 2020 uh, and defeated uh, 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 Donald Trump by by five million yeah. votes. Gets out and votes on this, which they should. Um, this recall is going to fail, and it should fail. Well, we I don't know that it is going to fail. We will see. If they do vote, it would fail. Uh, then That's again, what I'm saying, if yeah, they vote. yeah. 
Uh, it, it, um, Ernie, we're you know we're in the middle of at least two crises, uh, crises uh, which I would argue that Newsom is governing responsibly, as you did when it comes to the COVID pandemic, and and in both cases. Uh, Larry Elder, the leading Republican, another guy, Kevin Pathrath, who's the leading Democrat, apparently. In both cases, they want to do away with those mandates. But there is. uh, Oh, and then there's the climate crisis, which, uh, by the way, Larry Elder thinks is a hoax. And he also believes a crock. Yeah, he calls it a crock. He also believes women aren't smart enough to vote and he believes the minimum wage should be zero dollars. But there is another major reason to proceed cautiously here. Democratic U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein is now 88 years old. She is supposed to be in office until 2024. And it's very possible that a replacement may need to be named for her. I hope not. Uh, but that could happen in the years ahead. And if a Republican is in, is in office, well, that alone hands the majority in the U.S. Senate back to Mitch McConnell and the Republicans. In case people are wondering why we're talking about this on a national show, this has national ramifications. That alone seems like a good enough reason for progressives and Democrats to vote no on question one, Ernie. But let me get to question two, because we're short on time here. Uh, the, the state Democratic Party has this curious strategy for the recall. Frankly, it's it's curious enough that the you know, the Democratic Party has not spent any part of of the last nearly 20 years that I know of reforming our ridiculous recall process after it was removed, <clears throat> excuse me, to uh, install Arnold Schwarzenegger back in 2003. But the Democrats are now asking voters to vote no on question one, as you do, but also instructing them to vote for nobody on question two. Here's Gavin Newsom being asked about this on KGTV in San Diego recently. Your message to voters so far has been to vote no on the recall and then leave that second question of who a replacement candidate should be blank. Why? Because, I mean, this this recall with simple no, you don't even have to get to that second question. So no and go. It's not just turn out the vote by September 14th, turn it in. Uh, those uh, those ballots have dropped in mailboxes. Tens of millions of Californians received those ballots. I encourage people just simply vote no. Allow us to continue to work through simultaneous crises as it relates to these wildfires and drought and get this Delta variant behind us uh, and, and move this economy forward. I want folks to know I see what you see on the streets and sidewalks, the encampments, how dirty things are. $12 billion commitment to get serious about homelessness and housing affordability in this state. We're going to hit the ground running. We've got to defend this recall so we don't set ourselves back. And that's exactly what these candidates on the other side want to do on masking, on vaccine verifications. They don't believe in a minimum wage. They don't believe in corporate taxes. Larry Elder doesn't even believe in climate change, calls it a myth, nor does he believe women are as smart as men. This is a serious, serious race. And I hope people just take a look at that first question, vote no, send that mail uh, back, or rather that ballot back in the mail. Governor Gavin Newsom making, uh, well, two arguments there. One, why Democrats, uh, why he should stay in office. But on the first part, they're saying, yeah, vote no, vote no and go. Don't vote at all on the second part of the ballot. Ernie Canning, is that a smart strategy? It's an awful strategy. And I say that even though I, I you know, admire Governor Newsom and I, I think he's a great governor. Um, but this, that is really Dumb. And I'll tell you why. Uh, as I see it, 
uh, first off, he, he talked about the candidates on the other side of the ballot. He obviously hasn't done what I've done and gone online and studied every one of them. Uh, and he generalized things that, about them that puts them in line with, say, Pathrath or Elder. Um, that doesn't apply to all the candidates, and particularly it doesn't apply to the one guy that I would recommend. And, uh, and the guy that I would recommend is, is uh, a Green Party candidate. And look, well, let me, two. Look, well, yeah, I know. I want, there, there's, there's two different Green Party candidates, and I, I, I just I want to underscore that, uh, you know, Kevin Pathrath, he's this uh, uh, he's a 29 year old real estate YouTube sensation. He's the leading Democrat. I already mentioned the Larry Elder on the other side. Both of them uh, would end the mask mandates in the middle of this pandemic. So helpfully, you go through the progress in, in your progressive guide to the California recall election. Uh, you helpfully go through, you make the case why that's an irresponsible argument to make, because the fact is, sure, uh, progressives, Democrats may hope that Gavin Newsom uh, wins on that first question. But if he does not, do you really want billboard star Angeline to be the next governor of the most populous state in the nation? Yes, that could happen. Do you want Larry Elder? This seems like an irresponsible, uh, just just a bad strategy, uh, you know. So, sure, vote no on question one, but vote for someone, you argue, on question two in the worst case scenario. And to that end, you went through and people can go to bradblog.com and read it. All of the non-Republican, non-libertarian candidates, you offered helpful information and background on each of them. And then you came to your recommendations for Democratic progressives. And as you note, interestingly enough, you did not choose you did not recommend a Democrat uh, but uh, recommended all Democrats and progressives would do well to help the state avert a worst case scenario by voting on the second question for the Green Party's Dan Kaplovitz. Is that how you say his name? Kapelovitz? Not even sure. I'm not sure. I think uh, it's Kapelovitz. It Kapelovitz. OK, <laughs> so I will bite Ernie Canning. Why uh, Ernie? Uh, uh, um, I'm sorry. Why Dan Kapelovitz out of all of those folks on the ballot on question two? Well, let me give you that answer, but I wanted to say something real quick about Pathrep because I think it's vital that, that voters know who this guy really is. Uh, he is a 29-year-old real estate developer who boasts uh, uh, on his own site that he's a self-made uh, millionaire who's, who's got a, uh, a net worth already of uh, $29 million. He, his lack of empathy... Uh, in some ways reminds me of Donald Trump, is reflected by his appalling proposal that the way we'll deal with the homeless cri homelessness crisis is to just round up all these unfortunate human beings, uh, have the National Guard round them up, and just simply deposit them in open field. What's going to happen to them after that, I don't know. But I don't think much of him as a human being, let alone a candidate. Mm, interesting. Uh, as to... Uh, as to uh, um, the my choice uh, here here's a couple things that i i use number one i'm looking at educational and professional background and their ability to step in mm -hmm. to serve as governor should uh, uh gavin newsom be unjustly recalled uh he's a uh, uh he is a uh, criminal uh defense attorney and a mm -hmm. ucla law graduate as compared to the other green party candidate who's a, who's a uh, hairdresser 
and just to give you you know one example of where I'm do- where I'm going there. The other thing is that um, Pathrath and, and or not Pathrath. I mean uh, Kapelovitz, Unlike almost all the other candidates, I considered it a disqualifier for any candidate, whether they have put a D on the end of their name or not, who uh, jumps in and joins the Republican, uh, uh, uses Republican talking points, basically propaganda, to, to bash uh, Gavin Newsom regarding his handling of COVID, which has been stellar. And yet a lot of them are doing that to, to benefit. In the case of, uh, of uh, Kapelovitz, he is an ardent opponent of the recall. He's saying just about everything you and I are saying. He wants people to vote no on the recall. And he said the only reason that he's running is to provide a progressive alternative, prevent someone like Larry Elder from Mm -hmm. pushing us off a COVID cliff. Yeah, and I think that's very important. I'm going to point folks, because we're short on time here, Ernie Canning, I'll point folks to brandblog.com. They can read your full argument in favor of the Green Party's Dan Kaplovitz. I should note, you are not a Green Party uh, member. You're a longtime, I think, dyed-in-the-wool Democrat, um, supported uh, Bernie Sanders and so forth. Um, and again, if you if you've heard about whether it's Pafrath, the leading Democrat, whether it's Larry Elder, uh, whether it's any of this long 46 names uh, on the ballot, uh, Ernie Canning has done you the favor of going through at least the Democrats and the Greens and the um, uh, refused to uh, uh, name a party affiliation candidates uh, to give you some background on them. And why, you know what, this is not a joke. This is damned serious. And, uh, well, anyway, Ernie's recommendation for Green Party's uh, Dan Kaplovitz, you can read why he makes that case. And I, I think it is a compelling case, and I think it is a responsible strategy to, to vote on question two, as opposed to the no-and-go suggestion from, uh, from uh, the governor. Let me just slip in one thing. Quickly. And that is that if everybody who voted no on the recall, I see Kapelovitz as a as a, a form of insurance. Uh, if everybody who voted no on this recall also cast a vote for Dan Kapelovitz, there is no mathematical way that any Republican uh, could succeed as the governor. And I think that based on his ideology, he could work well with the uh, Democratic supermajorities mm. in the state legislature. So. That puts him way above everybody else. Thank you very much, Ernie, for that uh, recommendation. Helpful guide uh, at uh, bradblog.com. One progressive's guide to the California recall. Read about all of your favorite or least favorite candidates uh, in that article from Ernest A. Canning. Uh, Ernie, really appreciate you pulling that together. I'll point folks towards you uh, both at Bradblog and, of course, uh, on the Twitters where you are can the number four ing. C A N N, the number four. I-N-G. Uh, hey, thanks, Ernie. Really appreciate uh, all your good work and your joining us today, my friend. Thanks for having me on, Brad. You bet. Let's take a quick break and we will come back. Uh, our closing few minutes, <sighs> we've got a follow-up, uh, not necessarily a happy one, for a story that we have been reporting for a couple of weeks on this program. That's straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, on the COVID front today, speaking of which, uh, the FDA has given full approval now for the use of the Pfizer vaccine after it had been approved up until now on an emergency use basis only. No, that did not make the vaccine experimental, as many had falsely been disinformed by all too many, well, both right-wing politicians and irresponsible so-called influencers on cable TV and on YouTube and Facebook and perhaps most reprehensibly on the radio over our public airwaves. Uh, now, many hope that uh, this uh, full approval by the FDA will increase uptake of uh, a vaccine, increase the uptake rates, particularly in areas of the country which are being devastated right now by the Delta variant with hospitals and ICUs at or above capacity in southern states like Florida, Texas, Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, etc., I don't know that it will help, frankly, because that uh, not fully approved nonsense was just part of a massive disinformation campaign. And there are plenty of existing and, yes, false and or misleading excuses out there to not take the vaccine being spread by the diabolical liars and or the dreadfully misinformed. But with the full FDA approval today, the Pentagon announced that will now mandate the vaccine for its 1.4 million active duty services. Service members, finally, that's good. But if you listen to the broadcast every day, you know we have been reporting on stories of right-wing talk radio hosts who have been describing COVID as a hoax and or making arguments against the vaccines. Right-wing talkers who have subsequently found themselves hospitalized uh, in the ICU or dead after making false, abhorrent, deadly arguments that uh, COVID's nothing to worry about and that vaccines are dangerous. Last week, we reported on two right-wing talkers who had died and three others who were still in the hospital, one who had been admitted way back in July, whose family said that he was in grave condition late last week and whose brother said that he regretted uh, speaking against the very real dangers of COVID over our public airwaves and the need to get vaccinated, though he only felt that way after he found himself needing a ventilator to survive. That was Nashville, Tennessee's Super Talk 99.7 WTN host Phil Valentine. Valentine, whose condition we've uh, discussed several times over the past month or so, had claimed that he wouldn't die of COVID, but has uh, since said, at least according to his family, that he wishes he had gotten a vaccine. Though he only made that claim after he found himself needing a ventilator to survive. He wishes he had got the vaccine, says his family at least uh, when they released the statement asking for prayers and saying that he hoped to soon get on the radio to personally encourage his listeners to get vaccinated. Back in December on his blog, Phil Valentine wrote, what are the odds of my getting COVID? They're pretty low. What are the odds of my dying from COVID if I do get it? Probably way less than 1%. Why would I risk getting a heart attack or paralysis by getting the vaccine? He misinformed listeners. He mocked the need for vaccines and for masking. He wrote and performed a song lampooning vaccinations uh, called The Vax Man, which was a 
parody of the Beatles song Taxman. His misinformation over our public airwaves likely had an impact. Tennessee has one of the worst vaccination rates in the nation, with just over 40 percent of the eligible populace fully vaccinated in the state. Well, after more than a month of hospitalization, Phil Valentine, a prominent voice not only on the public airwaves in Nashville for decades, but also across the country, his show was syndicated nationally. Phil Valentine died on what would reportedly have been his 62nd birthday over the weekend. His flagship station in Nashville reported, quote, we are saddened to report that our host and friend Phil Valentine has passed away. He becomes at least the third anti-vaccine right-wing talker to die from covid Tennessee's uh, U.S. Senator Marsha Blackburn tweeted out her condolences. So did the governor. None of them mentioned that he died from COVID. Got to get out. My thanks to my guest today, Ernie Canning, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, my board operator, Federico Garcia, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I'm simply the Brad Blog. We'll see you there until we see you here again tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.